If you have your Bible, I want to ask you to grab it and, and turn with me to Psalm 133. Psalm 133 this morning in the precious Word of God. And uh, we're going to get right to it this morning. Again, what a beautiful day we have to be in the Lord's house. And uh, if you'll join with me, you'll, you'll, once you get there, if you don't already know, once you get there, you'll notice that Psalm 133 is really short. <laughs> and, uh, but I think it's appropriate text uh, for this morning. And so let's join our hearts as we read, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together. Notice that word, unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. As the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing even life forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the songs that we have sung. And God, we thank you for the message and song. We thank you for the message of the hour, that you are a good, good God. God, we look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, we look to you for the answers in this world in which we live filled with so much turmoil. Lord, I pray that as the promise keeper, the promise maker, that you will make that way for each and every one of us, that we might endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, that we might draw our hearts and our minds together this morning in unity. And Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here in this room, somebody watching and worshiping online that doesn't know Christ as Savior, that today will be their ultimate day of salvation. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise for that and all that you'll do through the preaching and teaching of your word and all the people of God said with one heart and one mind, amen and amen. Well, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we don't always get along, do we? <laughs> Marie, that was quick. <laughs> we don't always get along. I remember when I was a kid, there were times when my brothers and sisters and I uh, we would argue, fuss, and fight, so to speak. Yes, we would argue, fuss, and fight. I think my mom and dad are watching this morning, and they would concur. There were times, but really when I think back of those times, and if you have a sibling, uh, I'm guessing every one of you have had times where you have argued, fussed, and fighted, fought with your siblings. But I think back on those times, and I think the unity, even as brothers and sisters in the home, the reason we didn't have so much unity in the home is it was really the result of selfishness. Typically when we argue, fussed, and fought, it was because I didn't get my way or my brother didn't get his way or my sister didn't get her way. And so it was because of selfishness and, and quite honestly, sometimes sinful choices. And it might encourage us all to know that the same is true in Scripture. In fact, we can look all through Scripture. Uh, you know that Cain killed his brother Abel, Right? And we think about Jacob and Esau. They had issues. They, we, we might say they had issues. Uh, I think about Joseph's brothers. They had issues with Joseph. They sold him into slavery. And even Jesus' disciples argued time and time again, who was going to be the greatest, and, and on and on. And I think about in the early church, and, and even in some of the, the churches that we see in Scripture, the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers didn't always get along, did they? In fact, Jewish believers uh, got quite angry that the Gentiles were, were being uh, kind of grafted in and that they were receiving the same blessings that they felt they were only deserving of as God's chosen. Christians within the church don't always get along as well. There's sometimes that uh, I hear horror stories about sometimes churches fighting over the color of the carpet. Fighting over the color of the, uh, of the padding on the pews. I say, quit fighting over the padding on the pews and just be thankful we have some padding on pews. I've, thank you. <laughs> I've been in some churches where you have to worry about getting splinters. Oh, yes. Recently, my friends. Oh, this is a wonderful message from Scripture. But recently, once again, 
Here we are. We have witnessed and we are being affected by the horrific heartbreak, the tragedy that takes place when people are misguided, their, their prejudice, their bigotry, uh, bigotry, hatred of any and all types. Whenever that rules the day, I can tell you unity is far-fetched and might even seem impossible to acquire. And maybe you're sitting here today a little bit bewildered, bewildered thinking, what are we going to do? I got some good news for you. Jesus is still on his throne. I got some great news. If you're a blood-bought child of God, soon and very soon, you're going to see the king. Man, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I can assure you, though, I can assure you that this is not God's desire. He is so good to us. But unfortunately, sinful men and women have distorted his creation. They've distorted his plan all down through time. And unity seems like, what? Are you, are you serious? You're, you're going to speak about unity? Well, no, I don't have to speak about it because God's word already speaks about it. And David tells us that it is good. Oh, listen, I don't know about you, but I still believe God and his word. I still believe that God's love will always, 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 and I can continue on overcome any type of hate. Hold on, I said I believe God's love can always overcome hate. I still believe that when we are united, you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ will be able to stand. And in our text, look with me quickly. Psalm 133 may be very short, but it points us to the beauty of Christian love and unity. In fact, do you know that some have actually dubbed this short psalm uh, 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 the psalm of brotherhood? It's actually been dubbed by many the psalm of brotherhood. And in three verses of scripture, we see that unity has the ability to promote an atmosphere and an environment in which God's power can and will flow freely. Because here's the really cool thing. When God's power is flowing through you and through me, one to another in unity, here's the really cool thing. Lives are going to be transformed. And guess what? Not only lives are going to be transformed, but the shackles of sin will be broken. I don't know. Maybe I'm still a little bit naive. I'm, I'll be 54 here in October. Maybe I'm still a little bit naive, but my faith in God causes me to believe that there's nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing too big. There's nothing too broken that our God can't fix. Oh, man. What a beautiful thing. United we stand. You see, when the body of Christ dwells, when the body of Christ worships, when the body of Christ walks in unity together, oh, great things are bound to happen. However, if we're going to stand united, I put here in my notes, if we're going to stand united, then you and I must make a decision to make God's word the very rule for our life. The way that we live, the way that we talk, the way that we communicate, this must be the sole guide for our every breath we take. And sometimes that rubs the fur the wrong way. Sometimes we read in Scripture and we go, Oh, no, I don't like what you're saying here, God, but it doesn't make it any less true. Oh, listen, my friends, our lives must be... See, Jesus is our example, right? And if he's our example, the Bible says that he humbled himself and became obedient unto the death of the cross. He despised the shame, right? He became obedient through his humility. And so I would just suggest that humility is going to have to be a part of our lives. We must submit ourselves to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Oh, yes. Let's work our way through the text this morning. Look with me in verse number 1. Bible says here, David writing, he says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. If you're a note taker, and I pray that you are, I want to start by just telling you that standing united is a good thing. That was really, that was really high and lofty, wasn't it? Since the Bible says it's a good thing. It's a good thing to stand united. Look what David says. He says, Behold. Notice that word behold right there. He's saying, he's saying, hey, take a look. 
take a look and see because I'm getting ready to tell you something that is going to blow your circuit breaker. He says, I want you to marvel at what I'm getting ready to say. And then if you notice, he says it's good and he says it's pleasant to dwell together in unity. And if you were to look at the Hebrew word for good, it means beautiful. David says, think about this, guys. He's saying to dwell together in unity is a beautiful thing. It's a better thing. It's the best thing. That's what that word means there, good. I was reading earlier this week in his series entitled The Treasury of David, uh, Charles Spurgeon. He alluded to the reality uh, in his text. He alluded to the reality that unity was such a wonder. Now think about this. He says it was such a wonder that was seldom seen during this time that when David says, behold, he was saying, hey, it's right that we would take time to pause and to behold the beauty, the better thing, the best thing, which is unity. And this is what he was talking about in his text. And so what Spurgeon was actually alluding to, he says, unity, now watch this, unity is worthy of yours and mine, our admiration and if it's worthy of our admiration, then he's suggesting that you and I ought to take time to hit the brakes, hit the pause button, and marvel at it. Can you imagine what the church would look like if we walked together in unity according to the power that works in and through us instead of looking at things from my own perspective and, and trying to draw out something that I can't see in God's word. Oh man, unity is a beautiful thing. But notice David goes on here. In verse number one he says how good, but he also says this word pleasant. I think the weather outside is pleasant. The word pleasant in Hebrew here means delightful or sweet. Now think about it in your mind's eye. When you, when you observe something and you describe something as being pleasurable or pleasant to the heart and mind, maybe a loved one comes to mind. Maybe you think about a loved one. Maybe, maybe you think about that loved one and you say, man, that's such a pleasant thought. And then maybe there's sometimes you're like, oh, no, that's not a pleasant thought. Because remember, family, sometimes we fuss and feud and fight ourselves, right? And so maybe you look at a loved one. I put down here, maybe it's a close friend. Maybe it's a beautiful place. Krista and I have been blessed to be able to go to some beautiful places in our lives. And... Uh, one of the places that we have been that we really enjoy going to, and uh, uh, we go every once in a while when we can, we haven't, we're not able to go now, is Aruba. And thank you, who said amen? It's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful place. And, uh, you know, I, I asked God, God, don't you want me to start a church in Aruba? Right? That's a little selfish prayer, right? <laughs> but, but when we go there, it's pleasant because we observe God's creation, the beauty of his creation. When we think about something that's pleasant, it might be a beautiful place. It might be living our lives for the glory of God. Sadly, though, in contrast to that, I put in my notes, sadly, we live in a world, don't we? We live in a world where sin continues to rage on, does it not? And, and before, we go, before we go pointing the finger at somebody who may be outside the doors of the church, just remember that old saying, when we point the finger, you know, there's three more coming back at me. So we have to be careful of throwing stones while we live in this beautiful glass house called Christianity. And so let's be careful when we do that. Notice again verse 1, behold, David says, take a look. He says, take a look and see how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Oh, my friends, I put in my notes, we cannot allow the evil one, that subtle serpent that I talked to you about four or five weeks ago, we cannot allow the subtle serpent who slithers about seeking whom he may devour. We cannot allow him to deceive us. Do you know he wants to deceive you this morning? 
Do you know we cannot allow him to destroy us? He hates you. He hates your family. He hates Battlefield Baptist Church. He hates the 130 plus missionaries and ministries that we have the pleasure and the honor and the joy to support and pray for. He hates that. He doesn't like your faith. He, he wants to destroy you. But we can't allow that evil one to deceive, to destroy, to rule or even to get in our mind and accuse us over and over and over. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. Oh, what a, what a wonderful Savior we serve. Our fellowship with God, our fellowship with one another is essential. It's essential. Don't let the governor tell you otherwise. Our fellowship with one another is essential to unity. That's why we've been worshiping together online, but I'm tired of worshiping online. I want to worship together with you. I want to hug you. I want to give you a high five. I want to get back to doing uh, fellowship face-to-face. It's so important for our unity because when we're separated, here's what happens. When we separated, that evil one, he slithers about and he says, oh, I got an in row here. Let me take him down. Oh, but my God's too strong for him. I said, my God's too strong for him. I hope that's your God. You see, it's only Jesus that gives us the ability to have unity. And so if Jesus is the one that gives us the ability to have unity, that reminds me of James chapter 1. That reminds me, watch this, James chapter 1 and verse 17 says that every good gift and every perfect gift, notice, is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. Our God is a consistent God. He doesn't change in the morning. He doesn't change in the afternoon. He doesn't change in the evening when the sun goes down. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he gives good and perfect gifts. The Bible explains this gift of unity in Ephesians chapter 4. Hold your spot and flip over to Ephesians chapter 4. It'd be good for us. This is a great passage of Scripture too. And Paul writing to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4. Notice in verse number 1 and following. Paul writes and he says, I therefore, notice how he describes himself. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Now stop just right there for a second. Hold that verse up there, guys. Now look at it. He says, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Now you and I have to understand Paul saying, hey, don't be a hypocrite. Quit pretending. He says, I beseech you, you need to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Now, in the church at Ephesus, they're Jewish believers and they're Gentile believers. And the Jewish believers don't really care much for the Gentile believers. And Paul, you're going to love what he's saying here. Watch, he says, put an end to the act. Quit acting. He says, I beseech you that you walk worthy of of the vocation wherewith you're called. He says, it's time for you to be, it's time for you to live in a way befitting of one of God's children. Did you get it? Watch, he goes on. In verse number two, he tells us how do we do it. He says, he says it's time to walk worthy of this vocation. So in verse two, we get the how. Well, how do we do that, Paul? Watch what he says. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, which we talked about, uh, forbearing one another in love. Now watch verse 3 because it's critical. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You and I must be careful to stay away from. We need to be careful to avoid anything in word or deed that would divide us. He says, watch, look at verse 3. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. He's talking about endeavoring to be one. As he and the Father are one, which we'll see here in a second, he says, we ought to be one. And he's telling Jewish believers and Gentile believers this. Now watch, he goes on, and he says in verse 4, he says, why? He said, because there's one body and one Spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, he says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of, of who, does he say? Of all 
right? And I mean, I'm not a rocket scientist. I'm not as smart as some of the folks in here. Abby, I'm not as smart as you. James, I'm not as smart as you, right? I, I, but all actually means all. It actually means, he says, he says, one God and Father of all who is above who? All. And through who? All. And in who? All. What a, what a wonderful passage of Scripture. Paul's saying, hey, verses 4 and 5, look at it. He says, you got one body, right? Everyone who has trusted Christ as Savior, you got one spirit. I got some good news for you. There's not a charismatic Holy Spirit. There's not a Methodist Holy Spirit. There's not a Presbyterian Holy Spirit or a Baptist Holy Spirit. There's one Holy Spirit. That gets me excited. Hey, by the way, do you know I'm a Baptist pastor and I'm not afraid of the Holy Spirit? Some of you know, Brian knows what I'm talking about. There's some Baptist pastors that won't even say Holy Spirit. Shame on them. Shame on them. I'm not afraid of the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit. Look, one hope. There's one hope, folks. Guess what? We've got hope on the walls here. Do you know who the hope is, as Titus 2.13 says? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He's our only hope. He says there's one Lord. I was thinking about this the other day. Do you know that the early Christians were not persecuted? They were not persecuted for believing in the, air quotes here, for the Christian God. They were persecuted because they believed that Jesus was the only God. Do you believe he's the only God? Then our thoughts, our words, and our deeds ought to match up with what we believe. Oh yes, in 1 Timothy 2, 5, the Bible says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, in verse number 12, the Bible tells us, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Oh, there's only one God. In verse number 5, look there. In verse number 5 of the text, it says that there's one faith. In other words, one system of belief, one, one faith, uh, and it's based on the Word of God. That's what he's talking about. And then one baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And one God and Father. He's speaking of monotheism. And he's referencing, when he says that, he's referencing back to the Shema. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, in verse number 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is what? One Lord, oh, God's job, out of his good pleasure. I'm so thankful he's a good God. Out of his good pleasure, he established love and unity. And you know what? He gave us a job. Don't you like that? He gave us a job. You guys, I can't tell if some of you are smiling or not with your mask on. I, if you're smiling, Chris and I just took a picture a little while ago, sent it to Tish, and I said, smile. And she said, why? They can't tell if we're smiling. Because we had our mask on. Oh, I can tell because your eyes will do this if you're smiling. Right? Oh, listen, we ought to smile at the fact that God has given us a job. Because out of his good pleasure of love, he's established unity. But our job is to maintain. Uh-oh. Maintain love and unity. And you know how we do it? We do it through correct biblical belief and practice. We follow what God's word has to say. Listen, Paul said, be careful. Be careful if somebody else comes preaching another gospel to you. Oh, we better follow the gospel of Jesus Christ for our life. If we're going to have unity individually, the closer we get to God, the closer we walk in fellowship with him, the easier this idea of standing united will become in our lives. Oh, standing united is a good thing because, I say it's a good thing because here's the Here's the reality. If we're walking in united as a body of believers, other people will see our unity in Christ and they will want it. They will want it. God will use that to draw them to himself. Oh, it's so incredibly important. Number two, standing united. Well, I told you it comes from God. Every good gift, every perfect gift cometh down. So it's a God thing. It's not only a good thing, it's a God thing. Look at verse number 2. David gives us two illustrations here in verse 2 and 3. In verse 2, he says this idea of unity is like, he didn't say it was, he said it's like that precious ointment upon the head that ran down. Notice the downward motion. It's coming down. 
down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, speaking of the high priest Aaron at that point, that went down to the skirts of his garment, the robe that he would have been wearing. And then look at verse 3. He says, it's also like or as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. So we have two pictures here. We have precious ointment and the dew of Hermon. And so it's incredibly important to remind ourselves, again, every good gift, every perfect gift cometh down from God, the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning, right? And so look at verse number two. What I want you to see is the word ointment. (laughs) The word ointment actually means grease in liquid form. Grease in liquid form. Doesn't that sound tasty? (laughs) You're saying no, no. But it... It had an allusion to olive oil or something with a perfume. Now watch this. During this time, olive oil was an incredibly valued commodity. Think about it. It was used uh, for cooking, used for ladies. It was used for moisturizing. Men, it was used for refreshing I, listen, it was, it was something that was extremely valuable. And Paul says, here's the thing. He says, it's not only valuable, he says, but unity, he talks about as this precious woman. He says, it's precious. Now, here's the catch. The word in verse number two for precious is the same exact word from verse number one where it says good. So the, the, in verse number one, it says, behold, it is how good and how pleasant it is that for the brethren to dwell together in unity. That word in verse number one, good, means, remember, beautiful, better, and best. In verse two, we see he's talking about this precious ointment and what he's saying, guys, watch this. When we walk in unity, whew, I get excited about this. When we walk in unity, that precious ointment, that valuable ointment is beautiful. The ointment of unity is beautiful. It's precious. It's it's the best. And he goes on and he talks about how it's coming down and running down the beard and onto the, the, the garment, the rest of his garment. And if you and I were to go over to Exodus chapter 30, you can see a full list of what would have uh, been comprised, so to speak, in this precious ointment. In fact, it's a special recipe that God himself prescribes and you can and mark yourself a note go there and read that passage later exodus chapter 30 you can begin reading in verse 22 and following and you'll see the specific recipe that god gives for this precious ointment but here's the cool thing this particular ointment was only to be used solely completely for the things and the people who were in service of god in his sanctuary it was, it was specified only to be used in this way. And some of the ingredients, when you look it up, and you'll see that some of the ingredients are olive oil, uh, myrrh, cinnamon. Uh, also another one, and the only way that I can describe it is the cousin of cinnamon. It's, it's uh, something called cassia, and it's like an herb close to cinnamon. And then also uh, calmus. And the Bible says calmus or cane. You may have a version that says uh, cane. And so when we think about this unity, watch this. It's like a sweet oil of perfume. This is what David's saying. He's saying, when we walk in unity, it's like a sweet oil of perfume. It's a most holy oil. Why is it holy? Because God's the one that put it all together. And it's, it's also an oil that spreads and covers all. Now remember, he uses Aaron, the high priest, but I got news for you. It's not about Aaron the high priest. It's an allusion to Jesus Christ, who is our ultimate high priest. When David says, even Aaron's beard, even Aaron in his garment. Now, as a high priest, Aaron would have worn a robe. And on his robe, it would have been representing all 12 tribes of Israel during that time. And so watch this picture. Unity hits the head and it rolls down keeps on flowing through the beard onto the garments all the way down, covering not only Aaron, but everyone under its influence. Isn't God good? That's what David is saying then, and that's what God is telling us now. United we stand. 
You know the rest. Divided we. Oh, we must, we must, we must be very, very careful. You see, the point God's word is making is that unity covers all who are under its influence. It doesn't stay confined to that original spot to where it falls, but it flows and it perfumes everything in its, in its wake. Now, some of us, and I hope that th this is a regular part of your life, bathing and showering. I hope that's a regular part of your, your, your habits. Uh, and, and then some of us like to put a little, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I, I, I think some people said, put some stinkum on, cologne or aftershave. You know, as a kid, I used to see uh, aftershave, they would, and I don't know who does this, but a crazy man. They, they would take it and they would smack it on in the commercial. I was like, who does that? You're hitting yourself. What are you doing? Listen, that's what my wife does. I don't need to do that, right? Listen, we have to understand the beauty that is being depicted here when David speaks of unity. He says when it's in, mu when it's in motion, nothing stops it. When unity is in motion, when it is pleasant, when it is good, when it is like that precious ointment, there's nothing that can stop it. It touches and perfumes everything in its wake. Look at verse 3. Our text also mentions this unity being like the dew of Hermon descending upon the Mount of Zion. This is an amazing illustration as well. But here's the thing. I want you to know that Mount Hermon and Mount Zion are not, not close together. They're, they're miles apart. Mount Hermon was up in the north of Israel. It's the highest mountain in Israel and sits at about 9,000 feet above sea level. Mount Zion is in the south. It's hot. It's dry. And it only ranges up to about 2,400 feet above sea level. So you have Mount Hermon, Mount Zion. But they're not connected. It's not like the dews just running down on a Mount Zion. It's a picture. It's an illustration of the unity that we have in Jesus Christ. Here we see David's portrait of this unity depicting the hot and dry temperatures of Mount Zion and how they would be refreshed, how they would be refreshed by the cool temperatures and dew of Mount Hermon. It was Matthew Henry who uh, put it this way by saying, unity cools the scorching heat of men's passions just as the dew cools the air and refreshes the earth. Watch that again. He says, unity cools the scorching heat of men's passions just as dew cools the air and refreshes the earth. Oh, what a great God we serve. I think about Jesus in his longest prayer recorded in Scripture, John chapter 17. If you were to look over, read the whole passage. But this idea of unity is so important to Jesus that he's praying to the Father before he is uh, betrayed, before he is uh, beaten, before he is crucified, and on and on. He's praying to the Father, and one of the things that he prays for the most is unity. And look in verse number 20 of John chapter 17. Watch these words. Jesus is praying, and he says, Neither pray I for these alone. He's, he's talking about the disciples that are with him. He says, Not just for these he says, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That they, watch that word, that they, how many? All. That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. That they also may be one in us. Now watch, I put in my text the question why at this point. That they, you see, I always tell you, after a colon, ask the question why. In scripture. So I've got the question why. He says that they may be all in us. What is the why? Watch. That the world. This is why unity is so important folks. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me. I have given them. That they may be one. Even as we are one. Jesus is praying for unity. So that the world believe, would believe he's actually God's son. And that they would not only believe that he was God's son, but the church would be a glorious church. Do you know one day the church is going to be presented to Jesus as a glorious church without spot 
This is what he's praying for. He says, God, he says, not just these guys. He says, but I pray that all those who will believe will be one as you and I are one so that the rest of the world will see and believe that I came from you, that I am your son, and that my church that you have given me would be a glorious church. This is why unity is so incredibly important. And I tell people this all the time, and sometimes they believe me, sometimes they shake their head. But do you know Scripture actually confirms Scripture? The same thing that Jesus was praying for in John chapter 17, the Apostle Paul communicated over and over and over. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he's speaking to the divided church, right? And in, verse, in chapter 1, in verse number 10, notice what Paul says. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye, how many? All. He's saying every one of you in the church over in Corinth, he says that you all speak the same thing. When we walk out these doors, we ought to be speaking the same thing. We ought to be telling people about Jesus. This is what Paul says. He says that you all speak the same thing and that there be, how many divisions does he want among them? He says, no division among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Oh, my friends, oneness, unity is incredibly important to God. It's the same thing. I shared this verse uh, a few weeks ago. In fact, Brian preaches a great message on this one particular verse. In Philippians chapter 1, in verse number 27, Paul says the same thing to the church at Philippi when he says, only let your conversation. Remember, we said that that word conversation speaks of our conduct or our life. He says, only let it be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. He says that whether I come and see you or else be absent, that I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast, watch these words, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, guys, leave that verse up there. Watch this phrase here at the end. He says, striving together for the faith of the gospel. What the apostle Paul is saying is quit wrestling with one another. If you want to wrestle with someone, by the way, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but if you want to wrestle against somebody, wrestle against the devil and do it together. Get along together and get there and set your armor up. Go in the armor of the Lord and do battle against the evil one, that subtle serpent who seeks to destroy and to deceive and to rule and, and on and on. This is what he's saying. He says, quit wrestling with one another. He says, wrestle against any and all enemies that come against the gospel faith. In Philippians 2, he writes to the church at Philippi there, and he says, fulfill you my joy, be ye like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. I think about his teaching and how consistent it is. He actually, he actually writes the, the, the believers at Galatia, and he says much the same in Galatians chapter 3 and verses 26 through 28. Notice, he writes, he says, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Uh-oh. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are, here it is, all, and what does he say? You are all what? In Christ Jesus. Oh, United we stand. United we stand. But divided, my friends. If we're divided, well, you know the rest, we're going to fall. That's why Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2 to the saints at Ephesus. In Ephesians 5, or, or, or yeah, chapter 5, verse number 2, he says these words. He says, uh, he says, walk in love as Christ hath also loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. Oh, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to walk in unity or to stand in unity. It's a, it's a God thing to stand united. But I also think that the scripture here, look at verse number 3. Go back to our text in Psalm 133. Look at the end of verse number 3. Standing united is guaranteed. Who likes the word guaranteed? Do you know that means it's going to happen? 
Guaranteed. You can bet on it. You can bank on it. Here it is. Standing united is guaranteed to be a blessed thing. Who wants to be blessed this morning? Three of you. Congratulations. The rest of you, forget it. Get out. No blessing. It's like, Pastor, will you pray a blessing on me? You're already blessed. God has blessed you. Are you breathing right now? Do you have life? Do you have friends? Do you have loved ones? Do you have one another? Oh, man, we're so blessed. It's a, and by the way, it's not guaranteed because Pastor Greg says so. It's a guaranteed blessing because God says so. Look at the end of chapter 3, or verse 3, rather. For there, watch, for there, for there, he's talking about how good, how pleasant it is to dwell in unity. He says it's like the precious ointment. It's like the dew of Mount Hermon. And then he says, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Oh, my friends, Mount Zion was often the signal, uh, a symbol of the dwelling place of the Lord. Can I tell you, his church is his dwelling place today. In the heart of every believer is the dwelling place of our Lord. Oh, listen, someone has put it this way. By saying, wherever God reigns, love and unity reign. And wherever love and unity reign, God reigns. The point is they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Oh, in our text, when unity exists, God commands the blessing. This is the picture that David is making. And, and the only way this unity exists, the only way that it lasts, is through God's love and through his power. Oh, receiving God's blessing is not something that I can manufacture. Has anybody ever tried to manufacture their own blessing? I've, I've tried. I've tried to beg God many times. Anybody ever beg God for something? Nobody, except for Barry and Dean and I. <laughs> right? No, nobody begs God for anything? Oh, listen, uh, that just tells me everybody in here is a liar. Right? <laughs> I know you guys have begged God for something in your life. And it might, not, it might not have even been biblical, but you probably begged him for something. There's times when we try to conjure up God's blessing in our life and we beg and we're like, God, please, please, please. And I, sometimes I think he's, he's just like, I think right now, I think right now he's got tears falling as he looks down and he sees that that glorious church is fighting with itself. That church that he loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for, that that church is having a problem standing united behind the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe it breaks his heart. Oh, listen, I put down in my notes, the more we learn to dwell together in love and unity, the more we will begin to understand what the enjoyment of eternity will be like. Do you know we are not going to wrestle and fight and, and criticize and condemn one another in heaven? I got news for you. I've told my wife, I said, you know, when I get to heaven and I believe I'm going to heaven, thank you all. It's not based on my goodness or my good looks. <laughs> thank goodness. <laughs> it's based on his goodness and his love that he loved even me a sinner condemned unclean and he loves you if you're watching he loves you you in the room he loves you and he wants the very best for us and he wants us to walk in unity I put in my notes literally when you and I stand united it's good and it's pleasant and figuratively as David was writing when you and I stand united it's fragrant it's fruitful and it's fresh but spiritually when we stand united it comes with a guaranteed blessing not only for now but forevermore amen and amen oh listen I close with this the apostle Paul he wrote to that once divided church in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 11, he closes his second letter to this once divided church, this church that was fighting itself and tearing itself apart from the inside out. He closes his letter. How amazing is this? And notice what he says. Do you think that unity was still on his mind and in his heart? Notice Paul says, finally, brethren... Farewell.
Folks, just stop for a second. Soon and very soon, we will all say farewell. We better get busy living the life that God has called us to live. He says, finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. He says, be of one mind. Watch this. He says, live in peace. And then what does he say? And the God of love and peace shall be with you. In his closing message to this church, Paul was still concerned about their unity. He was still saying, one mind, live in peace, be perfect. Listen, I, I think that you and I, we must endeavor to do the same. And so I simply close by asking a few questions. Number one, are you walking in unity with the Father? Are you walking in unity with the Father through Jesus Christ our Lord? In other words, let me put it bluntly, have you been born again? Have you asked Jesus to come into your life to wash away your sin? And you say, well, I'm not a sinner. I got news for you. All of us are sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. A lot of people, listen, we get our halo on sometimes and we think that we're above and beyond reproach and that we're not sinners. So I ask you, are you walking in unity with the Father through Jesus Christ our Lord? If you're listening, you're watching, you're here in this room and you've never trusted Christ, do yourself a favor. Ask the Lord to forgive you and to come into your life today. The Bible says, boast not thyself for tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. James says our life is yet like a vapor. It appears for a little while and vanishes away. If you're not walking in unity with the Father, and by the way, the only way that you can do that is through Jesus Christ our Lord. I beg you to ask Jesus to come into your life today. Repent and ask him to forgive you. I got news for you. He will forgive you. But if you're here today and you're a believer, I want to ask you a question as well. I ask every one of us, I ask myself this question even as I put it down. Are you dwelling in unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you seeking to live in peace? Are you seeking to, to walk in the unity that we have through Jesus Christ? Or are we just seeking how we can condemn one another? how we can bring one another down, how we can hurt one another, how we can slander one another. That's not God's plan. Oh, my friends, are you walking in unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ? And then the last thing I would simply say, it's not really a question, it's more of a statement. I would say whether you are an unbeliever or you're a believer today, I'm going to ask everyone in this room, I'm going to ask you that are watching at home to do something really bold. I'm going to ask you to recommit yourself to unity. Recommit yourself. You didn't create the unity. I didn't create the unity. It's only through Jesus Christ and his blood and his sacrifice that brought about unity. So why not recommit ourselves to Christ? Why not ask God, God, give me, give me, give me the ability to walk in unity. Give me understanding. Let my words be seasoned with salt. Let them be, let me, let, if I'm going to speak truth, let me do it in love. You know, as I always say, all truth is a bully. All love is a hypocrite. Jesus, when they beheld his glory as of, the, as of the only begotten of the Father, he was full of grace and truth. Oh, recommit yourself today. Recommit yourself to this principle of standing united with brothers and sisters in Christ. And I know that the Lord will bless you. I know that he'll bless you. Would you stand with me as we close in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the time that we've had in your house today. And Lord, as we consider this beautiful psalm, this reminder of how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, Lord, as we uh, consider those illustrations that David gave of the precious ointment and the dew that refreshes and, and, and uh, causes everything to uh, be perfumed and sweet, Lord, we're thankful. We're thankful for this gift. But Father, I'm asking you right now, I'm asking you to help us to humble ourselves, to humble ourselves just as your son Jesus Christ did, as he despised the shame, as he became obedient even unto the death of the cross. We see his humility. We see his, his willingness to be obedient to your will. So, Father, I pray that we too would humble ourselves on this very day. Lord, I ask that you would help us to forgive one another 
that we would exercise some of that mercy that we talked about last week, that we would love one another, that we would love you enough, that we would extend mercy, that we would extend forgiveness to one another, that we would forgive one another for whatever it is. Maybe you didn't like the way somebody looked at you. Maybe you didn't like the way somebody said something to you. Oh God, help us to be forgiving people. It's hard for me to imagine anybody, anybody who says that they're born again to walk around with hate and discontent in their heart. Lord, help us to forgive just as you have forgiven us for Christ's sake. And Lord, I ask you to give us one mind, to give us one heart and one mouth so that you, that everyone in this room, everyone that's watching as your church, as your bride, God, that we might go away from this place, from this edifice, that we might go out from our homes, that we might live a life of unity and that unbelievers would see that unity. Lord, lives will not be changed unless we share the gospel with those who are hurting. So Lord, help us to go out with one heart, one mind, and one voice to tell people about your love, to tell people about your truth, to walk in unity, the unity that you have given to each and every one of us. Oh, Lord, we thank you for that good and perfect gift which comes down. God, we, we want to do this because you're deserving. You're deserving of the glory. You're deserving of the praise. Lord, I pray that you'll have your will in your way. I pray that men and women and young people will recommit themselves to this biblical truth to stand united in the midst of a very divided world. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for what you'll do during this time of invitation, and we praise you in advance, and we do this in the precious name of our Lord and our Savior, and for his sake, amen and amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.